The Mina Kimes Show featuring Lenny is presented for the people by Caesar Sportsbook. You bet you get with Caesar Rewards. Must be 21 or older. Welcome back to the Minicom Show featuring Lenny, the only NFL podcast where one of the hosts thinks Hill is more than the favorite for Offensive Player of the Year. It's a science diet. That's Lenny. I'm Minicom's. I am joined on today's. It's it's not a preview pod. We're actually not previewing the games. I'll explain why in a second. But we're talking about a bunch of uh, teams, phenomena, divisions, news around the league. Field Yates, welcome back to the podcast. Mina, thank you so much for having me on. I have a quick question, if I can, before we get rolling into the football. Yes, hit me. How long does it take you to think of the intros involving a Lenny pun? Uh, I get asked this a lot. I usually think of him about 10 minutes before I start, sometimes while I'm walking Lenny, depending on the time of day. Thank you for asking. <laughs> I I'm definitely have repeated them, though, and I'm always open to suggestions. You can hit me on Twitter in the replies to the podcast with suggestions because Heaven knows I need them because we are running out of stuff. But this um, might be the rare time where it's actually worth soliciting replies on Twitter. Yeah. No, they're, right? uh, most of the time I discourage people to say anything to me on Twitter because 98% of it is venom. But this might be the rare exception. Yeah. And there's actually um, somebody kept track of all of them. I think I've mentioned this before and made a spreadsheet. So shout out to that person. That was <laughs> really impressive. Um, Field. So like I said, uh, I looked at this week's schedule and I kept trying to choose four or five games and I was just like, Ugh. And, and, and so instead of zeroing in on specific games, I sent you like a list of kind of just questions that I have topics that I wanted to talk about um, that allow us to hit on some of the teams I haven't spoken about. Uh, well, obviously I haven't spoken about any teams in a while, but really teams I, I think that I, I, I um, might not otherwise get to, and one of the questions that I sent you was not about teams, but it was just like, let's figure out, let's try to get our arms around the AFC North. Let's try to rank the teams because we are um, looking at two divisional matchups, very big games for all four teams who are all pretty good. You have the Bengals and the Ravens on Thursday night football, and then the Browns and the Steelers playing this weekend. And then, uh, so that was actually literally the first question I sent AFC North. Let's try to rank them. And then this morning, right before we started taping, it is Wednesday, November 15th, the Browns announced that their quarterback, Deshaun Watson, is out for the season with a broken bone in his throwing shoulder. Um, they also announced, I, th I think it was Stefanski who said this, I can't remember, somebody in the Browns, they are going to give the rookie Dorian Thompson Robinson another chance to start at quarterback over PJ Walker. So there's a lot to digest here. I figure we should clearly start by talking about the Browns. Um, let's just kind of focus on the moving forward of it all, because I don't really like yet yeah, the trade clearly horrible, right? You know, we don't have to revisit that the contract uh, disaster and multiple fronts. How do you feel about this team's chances with their elite defense starting the rookie at quarterback because before the Watson injury, they had just come off of a pretty big win. Watson had played well, their playoff chances were high. Do you still have belief in them? And where do you view them in the AFC North? I think it depends on how you categorize that belief, Mina. If you're asking me whether this team can stay afloat in the wild card race, I think that's viable. 
If you're asking me whether I think this team has any chance to do significant damage in the playoffs, win multiple games, I think the answer is no, unless there is a quarterback solution that is not currently coming to mind for me because the facts of the offense without Deshaun Watson, and it's not like Deshaun has been as expected this year or was he last year, but the Browns have now played effectively four games without Deshaun Watson this season, three in which he did not start, one in which he started and then left very early in the game because of a shoulder issue at the time that's separate from this current shoulder issue that he will now have surgery on. In those four games, Dorian Thompson-Robinson and PJ Walker have combined for one touchdown pass, one, and eight interceptions while completing 50.3% of their passes. There are plenty of other numbers that we use to analyze uh, quarterbacks. Those right there, though, I don't care what else the quarterback is doing, are unacceptable and not sustainable for a team that plays in such a competitive division, much less a competitive conference. Even though their defense is very much in the conversation for the best in the NFL, that feels like too much of a deficit offensively to overcome. Yeah, I I tend to agree, especially, you know, this division is so hard and we're Mm. going to kind of... I, I guess now, well, I still view it as a two halves division with the Bengals and the Ravens on top, even more so I now. Yeah. Um, I think that though, too, I, I agree with everything you said. And to your point about sort of the ceiling of this team, I, it makes sense that they're going with DTR to me for that exact reason. I mean, he, he started one game, it was against the Ravens, who are, I mean, granted, they just got, obviously, they were the team that lost to Cleveland and, and, probably had their worst defensive performance of the season, but they're still a very, very good defense. It was a very challenging matchup for the rookie. And, you know, they, the game kind of got out of hand, right? Because we, this this Browns team, we know what they want to do. They want to run the ball and um, play with a certain script. And if they fall behind, things can get pretty hairy, although they fell behind in the <laughs> Braves game, and that was chaos. We'll talk about that from the Ravens' side, actually. I, I feel like um, this isn't to say I have – great belief in DTR necessarily. I mean, I thought he looked good in the preseason. He is athletic, but I think you at least there's a potential for some variance there, right? Like with Walker, he's played a lot at this point. I think you kind of know what his limitations are as a quarterback Uh, with Thompson Robinson. I think you get that athleticism factor and, you know, I think there's a chance they might be able to do more on offense. I say a chance with, yeah. you know, uh, the very, very couched, but I get it. I get why they're doing it. Um, and, and I want to say, add one more thing. It, it has the potential to be a very quarterback friendly offense. Like I know that they've lost offensive linemen, they lost Nick Chubb, but I think you saw against the Ravens, like they're able to kind of keep things rolling. Like the backups on the offensive line have played really well. I think Kevin Stefanski is a good player. Dudes were wide open. Mark Cooper's awesome. And you know, against walk or uh, DTR, defenses are just going to load the box like crazy. So mm. there should be opportunities to get easier coverages to throw the ball. And if you look at how the offense has changed in those basically four games with DTR or PJ Walker, the Browns, who are already a run heavy team by design, have become even run heavier. So I'd expect a whole lot more of that, Mina. We have just eight weeks left yeah. in the regular season, which means that. There is a short enough period of time left that we kind of can play the schedule game. And as I Mm. look at the Browns' remaining schedule, I don't know that I see a team, maybe, maybe until the final week of the season when they travel to Cincinnati, where I could see them really falling behind. And even that's a long shot because the defense is that good. They can't play ground control football. The only thing I wanted to introduce into the quarterback conversation for the Browns 
that is unlikely, maybe unlikely, that is complicated, that much I can say for certain, is we are now at the point of the season, Mina, where if a player is released, no matter how many years he has been in the NFL, he is subject to waivers. So while the trade deadline is behind hmm. us, we have seen instances in the past where a player has, whether by request or just been outright released by his team, and it's almost felt to me like the cousin of a trade, we're releasing you because we kind of have a feel that somebody would take on your contract and acquire you via waivers. And all the usual suspects that were discussed as trade targets for both the Jets and the Browns earlier this season, I think, apply here. Guys in the final year of their contract, guys playing for teams that even if they were forced back into action, the goal of that team this year is not to compete for a championship. So yes, I'm talking about the Jacoby Brissett's, the Ryan Tannehill's of the world, that if a team like Tennessee or Washington were perhaps to cut those players free, my interpretation of it would be that player's intention is whether via waivers, which he does not have control over, but the team does, or via free agency, would like to make his way to Cleveland. So uh, I don't have information on that right now, but if you're Cleveland, I can guarantee you that they are not stopping their quarterback solution by just saying it's DTR, and if he doesn't get the job done, we go back to Philip PJ Walker and just hope that the two of them for the remaining eight games of the season can be good enough. I'm sure there is way more due diligence that is currently being done inside that Browns front office. Forgive my ignorance here. Financially, what would that mean for a team like Tennessee if yeah. they were to let Tannehill go and he was to get picked up by the Browns? So basically, whatever Ryan Tannehill's base salary was for the season, and I can see if I can pull this up on the fly. It's a fair amount. It is a was. fair amount. Let's just say that. Yeah. It's not So there are two ways that you could do this, and the Browns are familiar with one of them, is that so Brian, Ryan Tannehill's salary this year was $27 million. So for mm -hmm. eight weeks left, eight divided by 18, a little under 50%, you're talking about like a $12 million proposition for Cleveland. They may say to themselves, Mina, that's too much money for us to pay for a guy that we're not totally certain would bring us back into legitimate AFC contender. But what Tennessee could do is they could say, all right, love this 12 and change. It's still due to Ryan. Maybe we pay 8 million of that to us in a signing bonus to Ryan Tannehill right now, reducing the rest of the base salary to 4 million bucks, which might incentivize the Browns the problem is maybe the Jets as well, other teams that are ahead of Cleveland on the waiver wire to grab Ryan Tannehill. But you'll remember, uh, well, I guess it feels like a handful of years now when Odell Beckham Jr. was on the outs in Cleveland. Part of what they did was they sort of paid a signing bonus that helped make it a more palatable divorce between the player and the team. So uh, Tannehill, if waived under his current deal would be very unlikely to be claimed because it's a $12 million price tag. But if Tennessee yeah. ate some of that money, he could potentially have some influence over where he lands next. And then the benefit for Tennessee, obviously, is it's pretty significant savings. Yeah. So if it's, if it's $12 million that you owe him right now, and he's going to sit on the bench for the remaining eight games, let's say that you could save $4 million of that. On top of that, Mina, and you know this, it's a relationships business. You're doing the, the the player a solid. That player's representation is never going to forget the solid that you are doing that player. It's going to come back around, right? I know that uh, some people might think that's way too ridiculous of a favor to do, but that's, to me, kind of part of the business of being a general manager in the NFL. 
Mm. So, uh, you know, I said at the beginning, we we're going to trying to rank the division and I, I viewed it in two halves. Um, and we're, we're going to get answers to this right away because the two halves teams are going head to head this week. Um, do you think the Browns with their elite defense, arguably the best unit across all eight of these and DTR is worse than the Pittsburgh Steelers? who uh, famously now have not outgained an opponent in any of their wins, um, but I think have some things going for them that I that I can uh, hit on from my perspective. They do. Um, they do have some things going for them, for sure, Mina. I don't want to totally crap all over a 6-3 and three star, but they have a negative 26-point differential on top of the yardage wow. differential that you've already referenced. Uh, only two teams with a winning record have a negative point differential this season. The Seahawks are the other, and their point differential is negative one. So virtually even, um, but the Steelers are the smoke and mirrors team. Somehow they continue to stay competitive and hover right around 500 in many seasons, or in the case of this year, above 500. But I still think I would give the edge to Cleveland because I do think their defense top to bottom is better. And while the offense is going to have a hard time functioning at a high level now going forward, I think the running game is still going to be extremely competent as you leaned into. And there's a decided play caller edge in Cleveland as opposed to Pittsburgh. Mm. As we know, there's been much strife in, in Pittsburgh surrounding Matt Canada's work and his job security going forward. Whereas in Cleveland, as you referenced, you have one of the better and more creative minds in Kevin Stefanski. So, yes, <laughs> there is definitely an advantage there. Um, I will say, okay, so the Steelers, uh, Field mentioned, obviously, the they, they have gotten lucky or it's black magic or whatever you want to call it. Good. You know, Mike Tomlin effect, whatever. I will say this, um, having just watched, uh, Steelers Packers, we're gonna talk about Jordan Love later. Defense is still very good. Obviously there's been some injuries. Make it was Patrick. Cam Hayward comes back. It's a good defense. Offensively. I think they've kind of found an identity. Um, there are, and granted, they were playing the Packers who are, was maybe the most infuriating run defense to watch in the NFL, but they did this against Tennessee too. They're a good rushing team. Um, I think the offensive line, while there's some issues with pass protection, has become a very good run blocking line. Uh, their uh, third round draft pick was Darnell Washington this year. They've got a very good run blocking tight end who puts up some hum humorous highlights, but it also looks different from, I think at the beginning of the season, I complained about the predictability of the Steelers run game. And how just it was just like split zone over and over and over. So they've really diversified. Uh, they're running more gap stuff. You've got the offensive linemen pulling. I they have. I think Jalen Warren, who is a really cool and fun player to watch, is now their lead back as he should be. So I, you know, I, I am still a little bit discouraged by the progression of Kenny Pickett this season. But they can run the football, uh, and I think that combined with their defense, it makes, every, it makes it every game, even though I don't feel like I don't put them in that top half of this division, I, they're pretty close with the Browns, even though I think the Browns have, to your point, the, the play calling and defensive advantage. Yeah, and I've decided at this point, Mina, I'm just going to stop counting the Steelers out because every time I think that this team is bound for some sort of regression, <laughs> I look at the standings and they are exactly where we mentioned them to be at 6-3 and three right now. But I do feel like Cleveland, I have more significant confidence in. 
This is probably one of those things that's uh, less significant uh, in some games, but does matter in others. The Browns also finally have a kicker, which is something that I can tell you every <laughs> Browns fan in my life has reminded me of several times this year. And Dustin Hopkins has been a legitimate game influencer for them on multiple occasions this year. So some of the things around the margins that have bothered the Browns in the past are not nearly as much of an issue now. Um, so I give them the edge over Pittsburgh. That's um, going to sound like um, I am down on the Steelers. I have them as the fourth team in the division. That being said, they are pretty clearly the best fourth team in any division in the NFL and probably are much more like a league average team than they are a bottom yeah. of the division team. That's I think that's true. Um, so the, the Bengals and the Ravens, they're, they're playing on Thursday. It's an amazing game, although both players have a lot of injuries. Mm -hmm. Um the Bengals won't have T. Higgins, Sam Hubbard. Trey Hendrickson is playing, I saw, which is wild. It looked like looked bad, I was it? so worried when yeah. I was, yeah. Cause I was, and they, they really need him. I mean, not only is I think he their best defensive player, but I think outside of him, the pass rush is a little bit dubious. And then the Ravens will not have Ronnie Stanley, so left tackle, um, who would be going up against Trey Hendrickson and Marlon Humphrey, although their secondary depth has really held up. So, Field, again, let's just kind of drill down to kind of ranking these teams. Um, they're both coming off of losses. Uh, you know, the, the Bengals to Houston, uh, that was surprising, although I think increasingly we have respect for that team. And then the Ravens blowing another lead. I guess I, I, I still think the Ravens are the more complete football team, but this fourth quarter lead thing, it's pretty bad. I mean, I... So according to our stats and info, since the beginning of last season, they have seven losses when leading in the fourth quarter. That's the most in the NFL. I think what's so annoying is every loss is a little bit different and stupid in a different way. <laughs> so um, like it doesn't make me think differently of them as a football team necessarily, but it's definitely a real trend. It also feels like the Ravens are that team. And I feel like we talk about this more in college football where when the stakes are obviously high, they play their best. And then when it feels like they're playing the non-conference cupcake game at the beginning of their schedule, they find a way to let that team hang around for way too long. But I will yeah. give the Ravens the edge for a couple of reasons. You know, they're two games up already at this juncture of the season, and we've only got eight left. So if these two teams were to play again in the playoffs, the most likely scenario is that it takes place in Baltimore and not Cincinnati. And second of all, despite some serious personnel issues in terms of injuries, the Ravens have played the Bengals seriously tough. So well. How about this? Just so to put well. some numbers to it. In their past four meetings, and all of these have been since the start of last year, Joe Burrow's four games against the Ravens, 217 yards, one touchdown, one pick, 215 yards, one touchdown, no picks, 209 yards, one touchdown, no picks, 222 yards, two touchdowns, one pick. So a total of five touchdowns in four games, no game with even 225 passing yards. I don't know if it's a familiarity thing. I don't know if it's a mentality thing. I don't know if it's a randomness and the sample size is actually too small for us to believe this. But Baltimore is fearless when it comes to facing off against Joe Burrow, a player who, against almost every other team, Mina, pretty much has his way no matter what the circumstances are. So we did a um, segment on NFL Live on 
simulated pressures uh, mm. for defenses, and the Ravens use them the most. And I've talked about that. I talked about that at length last week. It really um, causes problems, has caused problems for this Bengals offense because when you watch it, either it, it has the effect of either slowing Bro down where he waits a tick or speeding him up, I've noticed, where he's like, All right, I'm just going to get it out. But the problem is, um, there it, it it because of the way they're playing in coverage it's typically not enough for a first down and you're leaning you're relying on you know your chases and boyds of the world to get and then i think it was hurst who they really leaned on to get yards after the catch but the ravens did a pretty solid job of tackling and, and just really limited what they could do um i'll be curious to see from the Bengals' perspective like what they do to combat that yeah <clears throat> uh so last this week when the Ravens got just boat raced by Cleveland, Mike Golick Jr. and I were texting about this because I was curious, you know, we were just talking about how offensive lines might fight it when you don't know where the pressure's coming from, whatever. And he mentioned to me that the Browns line, it was full slides, uh, almost a pretty significant chunk of the time, even when they weren't doing their sims. So I'll be interested in seeing if the Spangles offensive line, which has not been great this year, by the way, makes similar adjustments just to try to prepare for all the chaos up front. Yeah, interesting thoughts. And obviously, I'd always defer to Mike on his sort of offensive line expertise compared to my own. One thing that I've seen kind of ratchet up criticism-wise for Cincinnati, and it often is a great strength of theirs, but when times are tough, it's highlighted as a potential weakness, is kind of like this hero ball nature to their offense. Sometimes their best mm. plan is kind of encapsulated by the quote that Joe uh, famously uttered either last yeah, year or the season it. before, you know, like F it, Jamar's down there somewhere. It's like sometimes their their offensive strategy is let Joe and Jamar cook and figure it out, right? Um, as opposed to like maybe some like more yeah. kind of schematically brilliant teams like, you know, the Rams when they were cooking earlier this season with Puka Nakua as wide receiver one, putting up like bananas numbers, a fifth round pick who... Like that to me was certainly a testament to Puka, but part of it was also just like a really, really, really great job by the entire coaching staff in terms of manufacturing yeah. wide open uh, route concepts for Matthew Stafford to pick apart defenses with. Um, but that that that's going to be one of the tests here for Cincinnati is that with some of their depth being thinned at wide receiver without T Higgins and getting a little bit of late, but still not a ton from that tight end spot compared to where they were last year with Hayden Hurst, like. Well, they don't have their full complement of skill players. What's the counterpunch if a team can a little bit neutralize Joe and Jamar Chase? Yeah, because you know, and this is another, I think, reason why the Ravens have played them well is like they're you're not going to get those one on ones, right? Like they're you're going to see a lot of split safety. Whoever's covering Jamar Chase is going to have help. Those go balls aren't going to be there. And to your point, it do, you do need to hit the tight ends. I think of the Bills game where the Bengals had so much success, admittedly, against a Bills defense that is, you know, injured on alongs their spine of throwing to the tight ends. Um, this feels like another game where that I, I totally agree with you. That has to be the case. So big, big test for both sides. Um, I think we're kind of in agreement about the order of these teams, but they all have an opportunity to really shake it up this weekend so it, it, it does thursday feels like the best game of the weekend which is you know a nice reward for al michaels after uh, making it through hey, <laughs> panthers bears well monday night football espn is going to be awesome i mean to have yes. philadelphia casey is i mean that's as good as it gets as well we've been talking Incredible. about that one since the schedule was released back in may so 
Um, not to be a company man, but that yes. is quite a way. Yeah, it is. In, especially given the way this, like that was one where when this, we did the schedule release stuff, you know, that was like the big, like, za-za-za reveal <laughs> alive. Yeah. But it, it, you know, obviously they keep playing the Super Bowl, but I think now at this point in the season, everybody kind of thinks those are the best two teams again, you know? So it's like, it really, um, things worked out for, for us on, on that front. So the second question I want to ask you um, is something that I have been thinking through <laughs> And puzzling over for the last <laughs> month or so, which is, does it feel like something's wrong with Seattle's offense? And I say this coming off of a game where Geno Smith threw for 369 yards, which is the most he has ever thrown in his NFL career. Field the Seahawks uh, currently are, you know, a top 10 offense in EPA per play. They're 11th in DVOA right now. But something feels off. Uh, I have a few theories as to why that is, but I want to get your outsider's perspective on what you see when you watch this offense, because going into the season and you and I ranked offenses, we both thought that they would be very good. Yeah. Uh, this feels a little less um, topical after this past weekend's game that you referenced. That being said, there is a larger sample size of them <laughs> not being what they were this past Sunday against the commander's team that obviously uh, traded away two of its very best defensive players yes. uh, at the de deadline has played just two games since. So I thought about this. Uh, what is different for Seattle this year? What has been part of the problem so far for Seattle this year? Um, if this is redundant or thoughts that you have already conveyed, I apologize. But uh, let's start with something that I think is kind of a problem around the NFL that's hit them harder this year than last, which is offensive line continuity. Mm -hmm. Last checked seven different offensive line combinations and nine games played. I mean, to have that kind of inconsistency up front is going to be a cause for concern, no matter what team you are and what players there are, because as much as individual talent along the offensive line is important, Mina, I've kind of always viewed it as a chain link fence. And when you're constantly rotating players in, guys from the practice squad, 41-year-old Jason Peters, players coming off of IR, I mean, that's just a hard thing to overcome. It's had an impact a little bit, I think, in terms of the rhythm of the passing game. Not so much if you look at like the raw sack numbers. Those are fine still, right? Uh, but sacks can be a little bit misleading yeah. as it pertains to pass protection. Uh, it can also be at times an indictment of a quarterback holding on to the football too long or a quarterback who gets rid of the football uh, in the right amount of time that can kind of mirage some of the concerns that might be stemming from pressure. But I thought about the running game, and I'm sure you're probably pretty aware of this, and I saw this. Uh, floating around, oh, gosh, I wish I had the source and I'm an idiot for not having written it down uh, when I first saw it. But uh, the play action numbers this year are stark compared to where they were last year. It was such a weapon for them last season. Geno Smith was just methodical last year on play action. And the numbers this year are naked relative to the numbers we saw last season. And I thought about well, what's the roots of that? Is it just, again, a small sample size randomness issue? Could it be tied into the fact that the running game is down this year compared to last year? You and I have talked about this probably on the show, but definitely either offline or on NFL Live about how being able to run play action effectively is not tied directly to being able to run the football effectively. But if you're an effective running team, it does not hurt your play action capacity, right? Think about the human element of the game. If you're a linebacker facing off against the best rushing attack in the NFL, you're constantly thinking about the effect of a run and your mind is just going to be immediately defaulting to a running play at the start of the snap. So maybe the down 
upward trend of the rushing game this year has impacted the play action passing game a little bit. Um, but I tend to default back to just the offensive line. Yeah. Struggles might be too strong of a characterization, but personnel shuffling and the absence of Abe Lucas and just various guys who've been in out of line for significant stretches this year. Who, by the way, is back in practice this Let's week? Abe Lucas. Yeah. So that's a big, big development for them. Um, yeah, I think it's the offensive line. So uh, it's interesting because in some ways they've really held up despite the injuries, especially on first and second down when everything is on the table. As you mentioned, they're a pretty play action happy team. Uh, it's third down when they're not protected. And also Shane Waldron is always like bringing in multiple tight ends, multiple, you know, they, they do a lot to protect the line and protect, you know, third down when you can't do that, it all falls apart. This team has the third or pardon me, they rank 30th in third down conversion rate. That's behind the Titans and Raiders. Mm. Um, and when you zero in on it, you see they're really, really bad when it's third and five to go or less. Um, they're actually worse than the Giants, which is never a thing you want to nice. say. And Geno Smith is the most quarter pressured quarterback in the NFL on third down. On third downs, he has been pressured 50% of the time. Gosh. That is very bad. Uh, so I do think that explains the vast majority of the offensive struggles. Uh, I think the line is a lot of it. I will say also, though, and this is something I've kind of, mm, I don't know. I, 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 they have incredible weapons, but it feels like, and I know they drafted JSN to be this guy, and it feels like he's still kind of figuring it out in this offense. They miss like golden tape. Hmm. Like they just miss a guy who will get you you know, like six yards on a slant, mm. it feels like. Because sure. obviously DK is not that guy. Tyler's, you know, they use him more downfield. So it's, I think it, there's a little bit of a personnel thing. I think they'll figure it out, however. But the offensive line, to me, in particular, the lapses in protection on third down are where this defense falls apart, or this offense falls apart. The other thing, I, I, one more thing, um, they just don't have quite as many big plays as they had last year. Last year, Geno Smith was unreal throwing the ball downfield, first in completion percentage, second in QBR. Now, you know, he's he's not terrible, but it's fallen to like just kind of just above average. And I think the lack of explosives combined with the third down struggles are, are definitely sort of why it feels a little bit less dominant. Yeah, I would agree there. And what's interesting is DK's yards per catch are actually up this year and Tyler Lockett's are within like mm. a year of where they were last season. It just feels like the consistency of the passing game has been way down. I mean, those who play in fantasy football yeah. can certainly attest to a relatively quiet DK Metcalf season so far this year with just two touchdowns about halfway through, or more than halfway through the year. I also think Mina... When your team, it's your own team. Sometimes it's easier to get a little bit down on them. But still, to be six and three and right there in the thick of the no, NFC playoffs. Call picture, me spoiled. No, no, call no, me no, spoiled. spoiled. I'll take Trust it. Me. I mean, this is a good problem to have, but uh, they're right there in the thick of it. Doesn't feel good. No, I, feel. I, I, trust me. Well, the good news is they play in the NFC as well, right? Because uh, they could basically Ugh. coast through their final four games. Legitimately, going Oof. four and four down the stretch is a virtual guarantee to make the playoffs because I don't see three wildcard teams that can win 10 games in the NFC. I just don't. Yeah. I, our colleague Seth Walder posted this beautiful uh, visualization of potential playoff seeds for all the NFC teams. And it is pretty wild to open it and see like the Vikings right yeah, there. Yeah. The Bucks. Story. Um, we're going to talk about the Bucks later. Uh, so uh, let's flip to the AFC. One more question before we take a little break. 
Uh, and this is the question I sent you. I think that, it, you know, is something that a lot of people are asking around the NFL. Are you concerned that the Dolphins aren't beating good teams? This is coming off of loss to the Kansas City Chiefs, the bye. Um, I think they get Devon A. Chain back he this week, this maybe, yep. if not Against the Raiders. Yeah. And it sounds like he will, by the way, play. Meaningful. Yes. So, yeah, that's, I think, something you've seen. I'll just sort of throw out one little thing that kind of addresses this question. They need him because they, um, I think we, what you saw against Kansas City and what you've seen against some of these good teams is when things fall off schedule and, you know, they're um, not able, like sort of some, again, similar when things aren't on the table on first and second down necessarily, um, or when teams heavily play the pass, they do need that counterpunch from the run game that made them so dominant uh, earlier in the season. They do. Um, but Miami, like, now, I'm not trying to say that their offense is not absolutely spectacular, but yes. they've reached a threshold, Mina, where – and there there are a lot of teams that are in this threshold by now um, – where like the measurement for Miami is not going to be how they handled the Las Vegas Raiders in week 11 when playing at home, right? The threshold for them is going to be what do they do in the postseason or against a team that has a winning record. And uh, I'm not saying that – the uh, you know the big plays are not awesome. They are certainly awesome, but it's going to be the ability to keep an opposing offense off the field and grind out some drives every once in a while. Not all the time. I'm not trying to sound like the old school, like you got to run the ball 45 times in a game to, to in, in bad weather to like win a playoff game. But if there is um, if if there's less sort of like singles available in the running game and it's pretty much all home run or nothing, then it's gonna potentially be the kind of thing that could hold them back uh, in a game against an mm. equally or comparably explosive offense uh, or a team that's just so rugged on defense like Kansas City that they can hold Miami to 14 points in a game, which is a crazy thing for us to be saying about the Chiefs when their offense is the more worrisome unit of the two. Yeah. Well, Chiefs defense, right, the, is also the other thing. Is unbelievable, <laughs> yeah. Um, tremendous. But yeah, and, and and like these losses, well, I guess the Bills loss was – before the injuries and then the Eagles and the Chiefs. Those are, they're, they're good defenses. So that obviously matters as well. Um, I think, look, okay. So Miami, to kind of go back to what I was saying, they're, they're first in EPA per play on first down. They're first in EPA per, EPA per play on second down. They fall to 17th on yeah. third down. Yeah. And that's not to say, and and I don't, I don't think this is like a smoke and mirrors offense necessarily, but, when everything is on the table, when they're able to use the deception of the run game and all of that and, and all that optionality on early downs, they're a buzzsaw. And I do think they can be better on third down with a more balanced offense is all I'm saying. But I also think um, that the defense is improving at a rate that will make it so they don't fall behind <laughs> and against the better teams by the end of the season, or they're less likely to, rather. Oh, I should also mention with the offense, you know, again, you get a chain back, but also there was a lot of offensive line injuries that really hurt the run game as well. So yeah. again, Isaiah wins out for the season, but if they can be healthy, that helps. Sometimes the I wonder defense, if the offensive I think line kind of, matters or not with them, though, right? Dude, I know, right? I think it only matters when it matters. Right. <laughs> like, most of the time, it doesn't. Third down, it matters. This is a real continuity with what we were just talking yeah. about with the Seahawks, by the way. 
Like it, it matters on third so down. That's kind of the theme for them then, right? Like these things don't matter until yeah. they matter, right? Like the fact that they're so reliant upon big plays in the running game and not as much of like a grind it out. I need to get four yards, yeah. three yards on third and three to convert. Do I trust Raheem Mostert or Devon Achan? Like these things don't matter until they matter. And for those that want to call this team a pretender more so than a contender, I guess my pushback to them to that would be. That may not matter until we're like deep into the playoffs, Mina, because if you look at their upcoming schedule beginning this week, yeah. Raiders at home, at the Jets, at the Commanders, home to the Titans, home to the Jets. I could easily see Miami win all five of those games and be 11-3 and three getting into the home stretch of their season, which is the Cowboys, Ravens, Bills, Baltimore on the road. Very difficult stretch to end mm-hmm. the schedule. But by then, like Buffalo could could already be out of the division race by then, right? Yeah. If Miami's eleven and three, Buffalo, who's five and five already, would need to what go five and one in their next six games to keep division hopes afloat. My math sucks, so I'm sure it's not actually accurate, but you get what I'm saying, right? Like the margin yes. they have over the rest of the division could have them pegged for a top two or three seed before they get to that three game stretch to finish off the season, at which point, like it may not be a great way to end the season, but we may not know that much more about Miami's playoff fortunes until we're actually in round one or two of the playoffs. And like I was saying, I really think by the end of the season, like this defense will be playing so much better than they were at the beginning of the season, thus mitigating all of the stuff. We're not, I'm not saying like the offense has like a, um, I don't know, like an Achilles heel or anything. It's just like, obviously this is an offense that is better. All offenses are better with leads, but this offense is particularly better if they're not, you know, if they stay on schedule is all I'm saying. And by the way, that's true of a lot of certain offenses around the NFL. The Niners are like that too, you know? But um, I, I do think that this defense, which I talked up so much during the summer and started so poorly is going to round into form. Some of that was injuries. You know, Jalen Ramsey is back in the lineup. Steven Howard's been hurt. Jalen Phillips was hurt at the beginning of the season. But I saw a quote from David Long, the linebacker, who was one of their offseason signings, who I thought struggled at the beginning of the year and then has looked really, I thought he looked really good in the last game against Kansas City in the previous one. So he was like, yeah, we're kind of figuring it out now. Like it took us a second. And that's always been true of Vic Fangio defenses. They're really complicated in coverage. Now they need to get much better at stopping the run, which continues to be an issue. But I think that by the end of the year, uh, they're going to be much better than they were in the first half of the season. And they've been better over the last few weeks. Last thing I'll offer on Miami is that we had a ton of these concerns about how they would handle a real team, so to speak, in the playoffs last year. And they went to Buffalo with no Tua and several other key injuries and gave the Bills, who at the time we thought were a legit AFC slash Super Bowl contender, all they could handle. So uh, maybe this is a team that will prove it's got more playoff metal than we currently realize. I'm a believer. Tickets to the game, merch, meals at iconic restaurants, stays at Caesars Palace, all this can be yours when you bet with Caesars Sportsbook. Win or lose, every bet earns reward credits, which you can redeem across the empire. Now, if you haven't started yet, register using code OmahaFull 
and then place your first bet up to $1,250. If you win, great, keep those winnings. But if you lose, you'll get your stake back as a bonus bet. 21 and older only, offer valid and must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Massachusetts, Maryland, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming only. New users and first $10 plus wagers only. Must register with an eligible promo code. Bet amount of qualifying wager returned only if wager is settled as a loss. Maximum bonus bet $1,250. Bonus bet expires 14 days after receipt. Tier credits and reward credits will be added to the account within seven days after qualifying wager settles. See Caesars.com slash promos for full terms. Void where prohibited. Know when to stop before you start. Gambling problem? Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, Wyoming, Kansas, affiliated with Kansas Crossing Casino, call 1-800-522-4700. Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. Licensed through Horseshoe, Bossier City, and Harris, New Orleans. Massachusetts, call 1-800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org. Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Ohio, Pennsylvania, affiliated with Harris, Philadelphia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling referral services can be accessed by calling one 800 Gambler, it's 1-800-426-2537, or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. And I have to say, speaking from experience recently, having tried it for the first time in Detroit, it is absolutely delicious. Right now, you can get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Mina Show today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Mina Show, M-I-N-A-S-H-O-W. Am I a believer, though, in Jordan Love? Let's do that one. I said this to you. Uh, this is because I haven't talked about him. The way I phrased it to you was we're halfway through the season now. We've got a decent sample size. What do you think of Jordan Love? Well, here's the most important. Um, yeah. I don't know what I think about Jordan Love, Mina. And when you are already in year four of your career and the team uh, has to make an important decision on your future sooner than later – that to me tells you kind of where this thing is heading. So I get it. Um, the, the, the Packers technically do not need to make a decision on Jordan Love's future after this season as he is under contract for the 2024 regular season as well. But if you don't know with absolute certainty that Jordan Love 
is a surefire build your franchise around him quarterback. And you end up with the eighth pick in the NFL draft, which by the way, ESPN FPI is currently projecting for Green Bay. Well, then you bet your bottom dollar we're going to be spending the months of February, March, and April debating whether the Packers ought to consider a quarterback in this year's draft. Um, There have been some throws that have definitely struck me as wow. Decision-making has been curious at times. He's got 10 picks over the last seven games, Mina. That's the most in the NFL during that time. His completion percentage for the season is under 60%. He has this weird penchant for like making spectacular throws and missing layups within like the same few minutes of a game. Uh, And they've gotten nothing at all from Christian Watson this year, which might be as simple, Mina, Mm. as the fact that he's been injured and just that hamstring injury has been bothering him maybe more than we've been uh, led to believe. But he's been off the injury report. And Christian Watson's greatest strength, of course, is his speed. And there's been zero connection down the field between Jordan Love and Christian Watson. It's a non-factor in their offense right now, which might be a problem if you feel like Watson is a potential maybe not build your entire offense around him, but a wide receiver one within your offense. If your quarterback can't hit those down the field shots, it's a real problem. Yeah. I think that this sort of the Watson thing encapsulates part of why I'm having a hard time with love because I agree with, you know, all the points you made very true, especially like he'll have, he has some dazzling throws or the last couple of games in particular has made some really cool throws, uh, but misses layups and, yeah. At times, you know, I see him missing reads as well. However, the receiving group, I really overestimated coming into this season. I mean, I overestimated the protection as well, which obviously Bakhtiari hasn't played. And I think that it's looked better in the last couple of games. He hasn't, I thought he would be supported by this incredible run game. And that's not been the case at all. In fact, I think they're actually much higher in passing DVOA than rushing. Yeah, 13th in passing, 25th in rushing. So he hasn't had that support, but it's also been like, these misconnections with the skill players that is not something I didn't anticipate coming into this season. And a lot of it's on him. Like he throws some bad balls. He doesn't set them up to get yards after the catch when they have the opportunities at times, but it feels like something where he is in a much more challenging situation than I thought he would be. Um, So I guess I'm a little bit like, Oh, I don't know if, how much of this you can entirely put on him because it wasn't as ideal as I expected. Yeah, totally. But I I think that like the bottom line comes back to where we started, which is just like the clock, the timer for them is different than it would be for like Bryce Young, right? And not to say that Jordan has been um, as, as I would say as bad as Bryce has been by by some numbers this year. But like with the Panthers, the deference is going to be like, he's a rookie. We've got a long way to go. Like, We've got three more years of contract control plus a fifth-year team option. Like This is in part on us. We have no playmakers around him, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas in Green Bay, it's like, you know, going into year five is not off, even though it's a different year five because he didn't play for three seasons. Like the clock is just a whole lot different. And there is an opportunity cost that you would have to consider if you stick with Jordan Love because you might be bypassing on a quarterback that you think very highly of in this upcoming Mm -hmm. draft. And not to like poke the bear here, but of course the Packers have a history of being ahead of the curve on drafting a quarterback and not behind the curve on drafting a quarterback. And it's worked to incredible effect for them. I'm not sure. And it'll be interesting to see, like you said, what position they're in because they might be out of the running and, and yeah, that so there might not be a choice. I don't think if there's, 
It's not going to be a robust quarterback free agent market. So it might be, you know, just bolstering the situation around him, maybe signing a veteran receiver to join this group. God knows the defense needs to play better, but that's a whole other can of worms. Um, okay. That's, we could do a yeah. whole podcast on the defense because it's like the team, like it's like a paper tiger, Very. right? Like you think they're awesome. And then every week you're just like, wait. And I know there's been some injuries and they've kind of deconstructed the cornerback room with the trade of Rasul Douglas and Eric Stokes missing you know, every game this season. But um, on paper, this team looks like it should be dominant defensively. And yet they have been far from that. I don't understand schematic. They, they approach defending the run like they have elite run defenders at every level is how I would put it. But anyways, that's neither here nor there. Uh, let's wrap by talking about the NFC South. Uh, you mentioned how easy it is to get into the playoffs in the NFC. Somebody has to win this division. Uh, I think we can rule out the Panthers, but mm -hmm. yeah, so let's, we don't need to talk about them. I'll do at some point, by the way, guys, I'll do a podcast on, I think I do this every year, like the bad teams, just so you got <laughs> those fan bases who root for teams like the Panthers, the Giants, you don't feel too left out because I do think it's worth taking a beat to figure out what went wrong and what needs to be done. Anyway, so we're, we're talking about the Saints, the Bucks, and the Falcons, who are all um, clustered together in DVOA. So they're pretty similar. The Panthers, they, okay. pardon me, the Saints are currently 20, the Bucks are 21, the Falcons are 24th. Um, the Saints right now have a lead in the division. Uh, I mean, should they win? Do you think they're the best team? Like, I. I you know, they're yes, kinda, they yeah? should win. They <laughs> absolutely should win. The Saints have no excuse not to win this division. And yet, so when we talk about disappointing teams in the NFL this year, Mina, certainly we're going to always gravitate towards the teams with the worst records, right? I mean, the Patriots have been a colossal disappointment. Arizona, we expected to be bad. The Giants have been a colossal disappointment. Like, there are some teams that are at the bottom of the standings that have been very, very disappointing. But New Orleans has had like this incredibly achievable path to be very good. And instead, they're five and five, just sputtering along this season. Here are the players, the, the quarterbacks that they have lost to this year, the teams and the quarterbacks, I should say. Jordan Love and the Packers, a game they were up 17-3 in the second half. Baker Mayfield and the Bucks, CJ Stroud and the Texans. Now, obviously, CJ looks like a very, very, very great player already, but still. Rookie quarterback who at that point was not playing to the level that he is right now. Trevor Lawrence and the Jaguars, and Trevor's been very up and down this year. And then Josh Dobbs in the Vikings, his third team since August, right? Like the NFL scheduling gods are begging the Saints to run away <laughs> with this division, and yet they haven't yet to the point, Mina, that Tampa Bay has to be champing at the bit right now for the opportunity to potentially get right back in it because after they play the 49ers this week, Mina – there's not a game on their schedule that I say to myself, it's going to take like something pretty unique for Tampa to win. Colts, Panthers, Falcons, Packers, Jaguars, Saints, Panthers. That's a very, very favorable schedule for Tampa Bay to stay right there on the heels of New Orleans. I feel like that the Bucs are kind of different. The Falcons and the Saints have both been disappointing. The Bucs, it's yep. funny. Like I think even though it's a lot of the same players, they have felt more like the surprising in the in the in a good way team in this division. Mm. It's been a reminder that they have good players. You've got guys like Antoine yeah. Winfield having like an unbelievable season back at safety. Um, you know these receivers. Oh wait, they're still awesome. Uh, but then it's also been players surprising. I think the offensive line is way better than I thought it would be. 
with, you know, when, before the season, I was like, what? They're moving worse to the left and they're moving this guy who they drafted to play guard at tackle and he was awful last year, Kadeki. And they've been good. And I think that's another thing I feel watching them is it's a reminder when Baker Mayfield is decently protected, he can play quarterback at at least an average level. And then, um, you know, defensively, they still have good players. So I, the Bucks, it feels like, oh, right, like this is still a pretty solid football team. Whereas with the Saints and the Falcons, I think I just expected so much more out of both of those teams. Totally. I mean, both of those teams should be furious with how their first nine or 10 games respectively have gone so far this season. And uh, it's, you know, offensively, both teams have been serious letdowns. Uh, the, the team, each of those teams, New Orleans and Atlanta, made a different bet this offseason on a quarterback. Both of those bets have been, I would argue, like pretty dramatic failures to this point. Desmond Ritter, uh, you know, obviously there was a concussion that led to the benching, but he was still the backup once he yeah. was healthy and Taylor Heineke took over. We'll see where things are coming out of the bye with Heineke now dealing with the hamstring injury, but he has not met expectations this season, at least the expectations that Atlanta let us believe they had. And then in New Orleans, I mean, they didn't move heaven and earth to acquire Derek Carr by any means, but it's a real contract. The only mega deal signed by a quarterback free agent this offseason. And the conceit was we've upgraded. We've got a quarterback that gives us a much higher ceiling than Jameis Winston or Andy Dalton had did last year. And maybe in theory, there's a chance there's an avenue for that to take place. But 10 games in Mina, there's been nothing to suggest that Derek Carr dramatically impacts the ceiling of the Saints. And this is an offense that's got, you know, wide receiver one that you and I both, I think, believe immensely in and Chris Olave, but it's been not talent maximization right now in New Orleans. It's been sort of like neutralizing what feels like a pretty respectable group of weapons all the way around. Can I go on a quick rant? Just just for a second. Just Please, indulge yeah, me, indulge me like it. 60 seconds. I hate watching Derek Carr play football right now. I hate it so <laughs> much. And I say this not just because I'm a Chris Olave manager in two leagues. No. Um that dude Look, I okay, this is not personal. This is just about football. I just want to be clear. Uh, he has never met a six-yard completion when he needs eight yards that he is not going I'm to hit. Not. He will not stand in there and wait for the plays to develop. He acts like he is, I mean, he, he is playing like he does not want to be touched. And when Jameis came in, Granted, he threw some absolutely <laughs> stupid ball. I mean, the touchdown was just so Yolo passes. classic Winston. But at yeah. least things happened. I mean, maybe that's... Yes, they did. Uh, and because you have a really good defense, maybe it's, it's it's a tricky situation. You don't want to bring in Winston because of the risk of the interceptions. They've, they've gone down that road with him. They know who he is as a player. But God forget, I just can't do it with Carr this year, man. And he, oh. I, mean, I mean, it is just... I, I, Saints fans, you must be just absolutely miserable because it is a brutal watch. And and I say, and I want to be clear. And when I say I, it's, I enjoy it the least. He's not the worst quarterback in football. It's a very specific right. style of play that is very unpleasant to watch right now. Okay, that's it. That's yeah, it's funny, Mina. You know, not that anybody here is to defend. Like, you know, Josh McDaniels is now long gone from from Las Vegas, <laughs> but it's like he had one half of the bet. I think correct, right? The the bet that he made was that Derek Carr was not going to lead this team to the proverbial promised land. That part might be true. It's just that, you know, you decided to A, pay Derek Carr, you know, like six months before you had that realization and B, pivot to Jimmy Garoppolo instead, right? Um, so uh, yeah, it's been a frustrating year for Derek Carr and the Saints. And, you know, New Orleans is not 
all in in the sense that they have absolutely no way to get out of some of these contracts, but they are effectively all in because of their salary cap strategy and the commitment they made to Derek Carr this offseason. So it might be that Derek Carr, by default, is their 2024 starter. And if that means the same kind of offensive output, then this team may be good enough to win a porous division, but I don't view them as a legitimate NFC contender, even with what I think on paper can be a great defense when healthy. You have such good skill players, and they're just wasted. It's know, so frustrating. Um, well, I guess people would say the I same with like the Falcons. Tommy DeVito like, would do with those guys right now. You know, he'd be <laughs> salivating for the opportunity to throw the ball to Chris Olave and you know, athletic Juwan Johnson. They've actually, you know, the one, you know, it's funny. I mean, it's like the two players that I just think are like kind of hilarious within their own offenses are Taysom Hill and Jonu Smith. Dude, Taysom Hill's those, been good. Yeah, and they've done it amazing job maximizing him. And Arthur Smith has done a brilliant job maximizing Johnny Smith. It's just the fact that the Saints don't maximize Chris Olave and the rest of the offense, and the Falcons don't maximize Bijan Robinson and Kyle Pitts and Drake London. And But those two guys, Taysom Hill and, and John Smith, awesome. Spectacular this year. Let me wrap with a quick question about, about the Falcons, and then I'm going to let you go. You got to run. I'm going to pick my own games by myself after you leave. Uh, by the way, I was hot last week. I'll get to that in a second. Uh, I want to ask about the Falcons. So you and I both, you know, you, you alluded to the quarterback issues. Everybody, everybody knows it's not great with Atlanta. Regardless of what you think about Arthur Smith and his deployment of skill players, undeniably the quarterback position is not a strength for this team right now. Uh Everything you just said at the beginning of the not just, but everything you said at the beginning of the podcast about Cleveland and Ryan Tannehill, might the same apply for a reunion with Arthur Smith? Ooh, um, I think here's the reason why I would say no, Mina, is because like the circumstances have been there for Atlanta all year. Like the public has yeah. kind of known that Desmond Ritter's probably not it, and that Taylor Heineke is like a fine pinch hitter at quarterback. Cleveland, this feels like the desperation play because of the circumstances. So technically, it would open the door for Atlanta to try and claim somebody like Ryan Tannehill off of waivers. But given how far we've gone down the road that they are currently on, I'd be surprised if that's on their mind. There was a point in the game where I don't think they threw it like more than three yards. Like it was. Oh, my gosh. Just well, they have no vertical threats besides Drake London and you know Kyle Pitts, and you know you could even work Bijan from the slot and do oh. that, right? I mean, unicorns, but whatever. Yeah, Those are not important, are every, they? Everybody's so obsessed with Bijan and his lack of usage. I think Drake London's such a good player, and I, oh my gosh. I think he's so he has the potential to be so good. Um, you're plug, you're obviously very plugged in as an insider. Do you think Arthur Smith is coaching for his job? Well, he he has made it clear that like he's not uh, immune to the noise. Um, here's what I would say: He and the GM Terry Fontenot were attached at the hip. They were hired at the same offseason. Um, two years is, uh, I would say, in the NFL, like about when we start to have that conversation. In most cases, if it's not yeah. going well, if they like really fall flat the rest of the year, if they finish six and eleven, Mina, anything's possible. But I don't like if I were to make my short list of coaches that I think are like absolutely unquestionably on the hot seat he does not come to mind for me on the very short list i mean what, the thing with him is like you chose this it's not like like i actually think the well watson thing might save stefanski's job frankly i mean who knows how that yeah. would have gone but like you know they're gonna look at the season and say oh okay he was saddled with a rookie quarterback arthur smith you chose this life <laughs> so yeah, uh, totally i don't know man well someone has to win the saints are in position 
I would not hate it, however, if the Bucks made a run because I've enjoyed watching them. Unlike I agree. They'd be a more fun team to watch in the playoffs. Um, well, Field, I always have so much fun with you. Um, as I mentioned, I am going to do my picks, but I know you got to run. Uh, so I'm going to let you go, and hopefully we can uh, get you back on later in the season. I'm going to go pick up my daughter from daycare, and I'm going to get her thoughts on the NFC South. And I'll report back the next time that you have me on the show. I'll have to compare them to Nino's. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Okay, so Field had to run, but as I mentioned, I will be doing my picks. Uh, quick update. Crushed it last week that uh, Arizona over Atlanta pick really uh, led the way for me. So now I am only seven points behind my mom in our family's pick em league. I, I am two points ahead of my brother, however. Uh, but we're going to, so we didn't do, so I have to pick all of these because we didn't do games. So starting with the Bengals at the Ravens, the Ravens are favored by four. I mentioned the injuries earlier. Fields and I talked about how well Baltimore plays Cincinnati. I got to think that offense has made some adjustments, but I also think that we're going to see a bounce back game from Lamar Jackson against a Bengals defense that has really given up a lot of big plays. Of course, most recently a ton to, I think like a record breaking amount for a rookie to CJ Stroud. But in any case, I like the Ravens in this one, especially at home on a Thursday night. Uh, next game, Dallas at Carolina. Cowboys are favored by 10 and a half. This is, I don't really need to explain why I'm picking the Cowboys. Okay, so Browns, Steelers, uh, this, it says Browns by one. That might not have adjusted at the app I'm looking at to account for DTR starting. I'm going to switch. I had the Browns. It's in Cleveland. I'm going to switch to Pittsburgh. However, I just think, I think it'll be close. I think it'll be gross. But DTR against that Steelers pass rush, I just need to see from him. Uh, I, I'd say the Browns a better game plan for him, uh, or a game plan for him in this one that makes me feel better about him than what we saw in his first start. Although I think the Browns defense is going to really make life miserable for Kenny Pickett. So, oh, that's hard. But I'm still going to go with the Steelers. Chicago at Detroit. The Lions are unsurprisingly favored by nine. Justin Fields will be returning. However, I just don't think the Bears defense, however improved, has what it takes to stop Detroit. And I think Detroit, another team where they don't fall behind, I just don't see them seeding a lead, especially with that run game. So I'm going to go with the Lions. Although I do think Justin Fields' return makes this more interesting. So we have Arizona at Houston. Uh, so Dominique and I talked about Kyler. I did like what I saw from him 
in his return. However, I so Field and I were going to talk about the Texans. We didn't really have time. I've talked a lot about CJ Stroud, how amazing he's been, and all the reasons why. How I think it's like an underrated group of skill players as well. The offensive line is playing well. But another thing I've really liked from the Texans is their defense. Um, you know, statistically, they're still probably a little bit below average. But I think in the Bengals game, what you saw was sort of the improvement that I've alluded to at times. Uh, the four-man rush, I think, is actually pretty impressive. Will Anderson, Jonathan Grenard was unreal in that Bengals game. Um, so, And then I think on the back end, Stingley Jr. is coming back from this one. We'll see how he looks. But I think the safeties are playing well. Love, love, love Jalen Petrie. I think uh, good safety play is important against this Arizona team in particular. So I'll take the Texans there. They're favored by five. Another easy one. Like, these games are not good, man. Vegas at Miami. Miami's favored by 13 and a half. That's easy. Miami. Uh, again, Washington. The Giants are traveling to Washington. It's Tommy DeVito. Uh, I, I, I don't know if I got into this, but I thought Sam Howell played really well against Maybe not really well, but I thought he played well against the Seahawks. And I think you've seen him make strides in certain areas. I think he's, yeah, I don't know if, well, he he is getting rid of the ball a bit quicker, taking, even when he takes sacks, like in the Seahawks game, they weren't like super sacks, like the kind of sacks that make me think that uh, he's not going to be an answer for them long-term. They were kind of more like normal sacks. So anyways, I like Sam Howell. He also makes some ridiculous throws. Uh, okay, the this is this is a harder one. The Chargers at the Packers. The Chargers are favored by three. Um, I talked a little bit about Jordan Love today. The Packers really should be able to. Although the, the, the Chargers' defense is improved, they should be able to run the ball. This should be a really big bounce back game for Austin Eckler against this Packers defense. Uh, I really loved what I saw from Justin Herbert. Uh, the other night, like finally, or it was the afternoon, but it felt like for the first time all season, and I and I had talked about this a bit uh, with Greg, where I was kind of complaining. I was like, ah, you're not really seeing the explosive plays, the creation. It felt like for the first time, okay, like that's Justin Herbert. He's making plays on his own. He's creating, he's taking risks. He's throwing the ball downfield. He had made some absurd passes. It was an enjoyable experience. So I hopefully that means he's turned corner. I'm going to take the Packers. Titans at the Jags. Uh, since this is in Jacksonville, Jags are favored by seven. Seem like a uh, this feels like a bounce back opportunity for them after getting the pants beaten off of them by um, by San Francisco. I I was still a little bit worried about that Jags offensive line against a good Titans front, but on the other side of the ball, I think this is where the, you'll, you'll see quite a bit of a bounce back. Um, didn't talk about it. Will Levis you know struggled a bit again in, in last week. And I think this Jags defense has the horses to give him trouble as well. Um, yeah, I think that they're, the, Pan the Niners offense is just such a unique challenge. And it was one that I think it was a bad matchup for them. All right. Uh, wow. So Tampa is at, at San Francisco. The Niners appear by 11 and a half. That is not a lot of respect for the Bucks, But this is straight up. So I'm picking the Niners. Um who reminded us all of what a machine they are last week. I will say I, I like the Bucks to cover, but I'm going straight up here. Uh, the Jets at the Bills. The Bills are favored by seven, taking the Bills. This is, I mean, okay, so the, you guys remember, of course, week one was the Aaron Rodgers injury game, and it was just 
absolutely chaotic. And this was that was before, of course, the Bills had all those injuries on defense. Um, I, I feel like this is going to be a really interesting. I don't even know who's calling the plays, Buffalo. Jeez. Well, whoever's calling the plays uh, facing the Jets defense is a challenge. However, I feel like you're you're going to get a little bit of a dead cat bounce on offense defensively. Um, I think the Jets will have success running the ball on this injured Buffalo against this injured Buffalo team. But I also think that the bills pass rush will be able to affect Zach Wilson. Anyways, I take the bills. Okay. But this is the closest game of the week other than Brown Steelers. And that is the Seahawks at the Rams. Of course, the Rams shocked Seattle week one. That was a very dispiriting game. Unfortunately for the Seahawks, Matt Stafford is back in this one. Um, I think that the Rams, so, so, you know, the, the teams are a little bit different since then Rams, you got, you know, you got a lot of young players on defense with more experience under their belt. Seahawks didn't have Devin Witherspoon um, on defense. I think Jamal Adams, or maybe he played and immediately got hurt was what happened. This was that game. Offensively, JSN wasn't on the field. Not that it's like a huge difference maker. I like Seattle in this one. I think that the defensive improvements, not just improvement, they've been playing well all year, but I think the defense will do a better job. Although Sean McVay does always seem to eat Seattle's lunch uh, with his play calling. And then offensively, I think that's probably going to be the difference. I think the Seahawks offense will do a better job. again. They, They really, like the Rams pass rush just obliterated the offensive line week one. I think that'll change. The Broncos Vikings, it's at Denver. So the Vikings at Broncos, I actually think now is like one of the more interesting games of the week. I've gone back and forth on this one. So the Broncos are favored by two and a half. I think, and Dominique and I talked at length about how, you know, they're a lot better than people thought um, on both sides of the ball, certainly improved on defense. I think this Vikings team, though, is really well coached. And I think that this Brian Flores defense will give Russell Wilson problems. I do, however, worry about their ability to stop Denver on the ground, which we know is what the Broncos want to do. Going back and forth, I think I'll probably take, have I picked a underdog? All right, this will be my dog. I'll pick the Vikings here. I, oof. This is a close one, but yeah. Uh, and then finally, Eagles at Chiefs. Chiefs are favored by two and a half. This is, I'm going to talk about this game at length, of course, on my Tuesday episode. The guest will be Nick Wright, who's a Chiefs fan. Um, so, oh, buddy, I'm going with the Chiefs here in large part because I love this Chiefs defense, and I think that I'm very, I know that, Last time we saw them, neither defense really could stop either offense. But I think Steve Spagnuolo not only has done a brilliant job game planning this year, but I think the sorts of pressures he draws up are he, he is uniquely capable of giving Jalen Hurts struggles. I was thinking Chiefs run defense is much improved. I mean, the Chiefs team tackles really well. Could be wrong. I think it's gonna be really close but I'm going to take the Chiefs, and that's it. So it was, it was a pretty – I mean, I was kind of a weenie. Looks like I only have two underdogs, and the Steelers might not even be an underdog anymore. But I'm in it to win it with my family. So I will keep you guys posted. As always, thank you for listening. Uh, I have some news uh, there. I guess I'll just say it now, and then I'll give you guys the link next week and give you more information. But the Meeting Time Show, you, you've been able to watch it on YouTube 
next week we are launching our whole YouTube channel so you can subscribe. I will put a link in the podcast notes next week for our first episode. In addition to the Mina Kime show, which you can watch on the channel, it's going to look better and bigger than ever. Uh, I'm going to be putting some like original YouTube content there. It's going to be really fun. So I'll put links to that and everything. I'm going to give you a heads up now because I know we've been doing audio only. Uh, and yeah, that's going to be a ton of fun. So stay tuned. All right, guys. Thank you so much, as always, to Kirsten Sebecki, Owen Saylor, uh, and soon, uh, video. Wow. Wow.